Hey all, the episode you're about to hear would normally be released exclusively to $1 and up patrons on patreon.com slash wordtetris. However, thanks to a very generous donation on behalf of this week's guest, Karina Adley McKenzie, the episode is being made available to everyone, to all, for free. Enjoy. And with that said, on with the show. Adley McKenzie, welcome to Word Tetris. Thank you so much. Welcome to my office. Thank you. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I just realized there's a whole board full of show spoilers behind your head, so I hope you. Uh, Luckily, they're behind weren't, me. weren't weren't too observant no. while you were setting up your podcast. To be fair, I am. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened, and I like. I went to. I was. I recorded with Aaron Korsh once, mm-hmm. and he had whole episodes of Suits <laughs> on his board. And I was like, and he walked in, I was like, I'm not going to say shit, Aaron. I'm not, I promise, I'm sworn to secrecy, but Lewis is about to give up mudding, dude. I mean, (laughs) come on. (laughs) I highly recommend that you don't do that. I I definitely do not have a whole episode on the board behind your head. It looks more like a beautiful mind met met that crazy guy from Ancient Aliens and then vomited on my board. But A um, a beautiful mind goes in the personal board and then it all gets figured out on the big group board, I assume. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, figured out is one way to put it. <laughs> so if you're just joining us for the first time, Word Tetris, you should know that we're currently in hiatus content. There is no uh, regular release schedule right now. But that said, uh, originally I was going to have my guest today on uh, the show is just a bonus episode, like I do on the summer. Mm-hmm. But instead, she decided to be very kind and do the full episode. Yeah, I, I love a, a bonus episode, but I, um, you know, my show's about... Uh, the disenfranchised and I wanted to make sure that there was content that wasn't behind and the paywall. I pre- and the whole world appreciates it. So, <laughs> so, uh, if, so, if you're new to the show, the first 20 minutes of this episode will be available for free on wordtetris.com and all the various podcatchers, all that stuff. Then if you want bonus Karina Adley McKenzie, head on over to Patreon. Oh, <laughs> head on over to patreon.com slash wordtetris. Sign up for the $1 an episode tier. You get the full episode. Sign up for the $3 an episode tier. You get the full episode plus a bonus episode. <laughs> bonus Karina. So, now that's all out of the way, paperwork's out of the way, tell me about your feelings on rewriting. Rewriting, I think, um, it's funny, because I always feel like the first, the writing part for me is actually the outline. So, that's where I feel like I'm, like, doing the hard work. Mm -hmm. And then once I've got an outline on paper, I feel like I'm just rewriting the whole time. Um, Yep. My mentor, Julie Pleck, who basically taught me how to do this thing. Um, the way that she writes is that she starts in the beginning, writes a scene, two scenes, three scenes, and then goes back, rewrites scene one, two, and three, and writes four and five, and then goes back, rewrites. So by the end of, by the time she's finished the episode, she's rewritten she, it like half a dozen times. She's pa- done a pass on every single scene. So when she hits the end of the episode, she's like done, done <laughs> because she's edited it already mm-hmm. in her brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind I mean, I, I learned from her, so that's kind of what I do, um, is just I'm constantly rewriting. Um, but then there's the fun rewrites that you get once you're like deep enough into this that you're getting like network notes and studio notes and 
writing the Roswell, New Mexico pilot, which was at the time the untitled Roswell project, <laughs> um, there were a lot of notes, a lot of opinions, a lot of major rewrites. Um, and that's, you know, it's part of the gig, but it's hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. what, uh, what, was, what was like a hard day on the pilot? What was like a really bad one? Um, the most difficult rewrite was uh, for production reasons. So it was like, I get pulled into a room. We're in Albuquerque where we shot the pilot. Like we're ready to go. Cast is there. We're picking out, you know, we're, we're doing prep. Julie's there. You're scouting. Julie's, Julie has scouted. I mean, Julie was scouting while I was casting here in LA. Mm-hmm. So um, we, you know, we're really, really close and I get pulled in front of a board by our line producer and he says, so here's how this episode is unproducible. And I was like, well, <laughs> let's, okay. Let's and fix so, that. <laughs> uh, we had to kill some darlings and that's always, I think the hardest part for me. Um, luckily now that I'm kind of in charge, um, a lot of that, uh, rewriting actually doesn't happen on the page it happens in post-production which still feels like rewriting to me um, but at the time it was like well I only get to show the network one pilot I only get to one chance to sell them on this show so when you're like casually asking me to just delete a scene I'm like but what if it's the only chance I ever get to show them what I can do um, and so it's you know heartbreaking but I remember um there was originally a huge sequence in the pilot uh, in the script that involved um, Liz, our lead character, and her father, Arturo, um, going to the cemetery to sort of lay a, a flower at the grave of her sister who died 10 years ago. And when they get to the cemetery, uh, it's the anniversary of her death. When they get to the cemetery, they realize that um, there's a large crowd gathered to memorialized two other girls who died the same day who the town believes were killed by Liz's sister. So when they show up to the cemetery, there's, you know, a big crowd there. Somebody's giving a speech and weeping. We get to Liz's or to Rosa's grave and it's got, you know, the word bitch graffitied on it and beer cans all around it. And, um, somebody's drawn a mustache on her face. Um, and there's kind of a little altercation there and then they start to scrub and there's a fight. Um, that huge scene and sequence got reduced to Liz pulls over on the side of the road next to the roadside memorial where people have sort of stuck crosses, realizes that somebody has kicked her sister's cross down and she just picks it up and and writes it. Wildly easier to produce. Um, Subtler, cleaner. Infinitely less expensive Mm -hmm. and ultimately because we had an extremely talented actress we got all of it we got that the fact that this town doesn't honor her we got the fact that you know this family has been cleaning up that this mess for 10 years and we got the real grief of um her being home in the space where she is used to having her sister and not having her sister. I mean, all the way back to the infamous, uh, we're going to need a bigger boat line. I mean, that's what that, so that moment is. It's the, we're going to need a big, cause for those that don't know that story, uh, 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 basically they had this whole expositional dialogue of why, what they have is not equipped to handle the shark and jaws. Uh, and they're like, Oh, and then they see the shark for the first time and they go, Oh shit. 
And basically, if you JJ Abrams just told this story, if you look at the script, he, Spielberg has crossed out all of that, and he just wrote on the side, "We're going to need a bigger boat." Amazing. That's it. And it's like all of that, everything that, like what well, is probably a two-page expositional scene gets condensed into one line that says literally everything. But those are the fun discoveries. Those mm-hmm. are the discoveries where you go, "Oh, it's all right there. It's all there." Usually, the discoveries are fun. The, the discoveries that end up being the most fun are the ones that are like really painful in the you know the process i i am not a person who um takes it lightly when i have to lose a scene or a moment that i really really love um i got a bit of a reputation on the originals for sort of like the what i used to write for the originals um for sort of kicking and screaming about certain scenes that were like really really important to me and nobody else cared about them right um i would be like, if this scene isn't in the episode, I want my name off of it. I want to move to Nova Scotia. I'm going to perish in the ocean. And um, <laughs> they were like, okay, but how do you, you still need to fit 42 minutes and 15 seconds into 42 minutes and 15 seconds. So math. Um, and, <laughs> the enemy of all right. Math is the enemy, honestly, because most, the hardest rewrites are done because of money or time, right. which are both just fucking math. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Yes. You can bleep me. You can totally curse. It's totally fine. <laughs> Sorry, people, but uh, the showrunner Roswell, New Mexico, curses. In case you didn't, in case this ed- the edgy teen drama didn't make that clear. <laughs> I would like to be known from this day forth as edgy teen dramatist. <laughs> what is your pro- what is the process you stood upon the writers of this show for rewriting? What is for there? Rewriting? Yeah. What's the what's the step by step? Um. In a perfect world, we like to have the writers write their, epi- you know, the, the whole room breaks an episode and out and sort of like builds a weave and an outline together. So when the writer goes off to write, we know what's, you know, coming. There's, we've talked about the ins and outs of a scene. We've talked about the purposes of what every scene is. We've even like pitched runs of dialogue in the room down to like very specific character voices. So when a writer goes off to write, they have the support of the team with them very much. Um, you know, other, other rooms who it's like, they they sort of break an idea. Um, and they're like, all right, you know, the uh, supernatural is an example where it's like, all right, this is what the monster of the week of the episode is going to be. Go off and write it. And, um, there's not a ton of, like the entire room collaborates on it. That might not be the case anymore for Supernatural, but it was, you know, 24 seasons ago. Um, <laughs> but our room is very collaborative. So they go off, they write the episode um, in a perfect world. They then send Chris Hollier, who is my co-showrunner, um, their draft. He gives them notes. Uh, they send him another draft. He and I read that second draft and we both give them notes and they get get us a third draft and i mean we will keep giving them notes and having them rewrite until we are out of time um and then i take the draft for about eight hours and i do my pass on it um Mm -hmm. and uh in season one my pass on all of the episodes was pretty significant but i will say that in season one we very rarely had the time to do three rounds of notes and to give the writers sort of their opportunity to do their rewrites and their, you know, put their real mark on it. Um, because we were always kind of running behind a season one show is, uh, a marathon. It's yeah. tough. 
just came off one. It's just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I had really good intentions, but this is my first time at this. And I was mostly in Santa Fe where we film. So I wasn't able to really sit down with the writers after every draft and talk to them. Um, this season really changed sort of our process so that I can do that. Um, How did you change it? Um, mostly we have a lot more prep time in the room. So, um, we have 10 weeks of writing before we even start roll camera at all, which is rare. Most shows get about six weeks. Um, so that way I can be here for a longer time before I head off to Santa Fe. Um, and then the plan is also one of the things that's changed is, um, we're going to fly writers to me if we need to, Mm -hmm. um, if I get stuck there. I'm um, a bit of a control freak, but I find it justified. I mean, (laughs) it's my first show. It's my first chance to sort of like be like, okay, here's what I'm trying to put out into the world. And I, um, I don't love being on set. It's definitely not conducive to writing. It's not my favorite place to be. Um, but I find that, uh, I also don't love the episodes that were shot when I was not there. So (laughs) I have to be there. Um, because the episode is what matters in the end. Because last season, that was the case. What was kind of happening was like, I'd get a draft at 10 o'clock at night and I'd like go pour myself a giant coffee and I would write all night long, rewrite all night long. Um, and then in, you know, at seven in the morning, I would send the draft to the studio, get in my car and drive back to work and shoot a day and was literally burning the candle above. Completely not sleeping. Like there were days, there were times when I was on like, a full 48 hours without sleep, um, which made me so fun to hang out with. <laughs> Are you noticing that you need to put less of a, you, your need, the need, the need to put uh, more of a, more into your past? Have you noticed that's less because they now understand what you need? Um, I hope so. We're, we're just starting season two. So, um, I'm writing the first episode okay. and, uh, Eva McKenna is working on the second episode with me and she has, um, we've worked together for a really, really long time. So she knows my voice really well. Um, I hope that the, the goal is always as a showrunner is always to basically teach everyone to do your job so that by, you know, season five or six, like you can do your job from a beach while everyone else just like knows what you want and makes it happen. Um, I don't know if that's what, that's my dream is, is a beach or like a, a cabin, you know, <laughs> a cabin with woods. Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, no, my dream is that Wi-Fi dies, <laughs> but, but you, you want to teach everybody to be you right. essentially. And it's, it's the greatest skill that a staff writer on a show can have is mimicking is you know the best the best writer is somebody who can just copy me which sounds so weird because like all you ever hear is like have your own original voice have your thing but and which is true until you're a staff writer in in which case like the best thing is to be a really good mimic and know how to sneak your voice in um so that you feel like you have made your mark on it i think Mm -hmm. that's Um, the way that I sort of climbed, rose through the ranks at the originals was because I was really good at writing in Julie's voice and in Michael Narducci's voice. And then I'd like find a character who talked like me, um, Josh or Jackson or Haley. And I'd throw in a line that I felt like 
if I was an audience member paying attention to writers, they'd hear that line. They'd be like, oh, it's a, this is a Karina episode. Right. But just one line. You know, you don't get to do that for the whole thing because it's not your job. Um, Did you have a plan for how you were going to structure the the writing system? Mm-hmm. Did you have a plan when you came into the show of Roswell? Did you have a plan for how you were going to enact it? And then did that plan change into what you just described? Or is it, or is it what you pictured became what you described my intention was always to do to give notes and to let people write their own episodes and really to like to just change as little as possible um but that's just not how it went down for a season Mm -hmm. um because of the time crunch and because i was a little bit um you know a little bit psycho um i i am very specific about the voices um and i'm also a very like public facing writer so i know a lot of writers who are don't have twitter or instagram um i'm not that i started i started as a journalist (laughs) and so when i started on social media my goal was get more followers get more clicks get more money like describing my life i'm having yeah i'm already having like anxiety attacks from hearing that <laughs> sorry but it was like it was like terrible I was like, okay i was a journalist and i'd be like all right guys i'm going to the vampire Diaries set you know follow me mm-hmm. and then i knew that those people who loved vampire diaries would follow me and you know read my work and then it would get some recognition and that's how i grew my brand as a journalist yep. and then when i started writing for tv i already had that i already had a large number of followers i had already sort of like created a I guess it sounds so fucking lame and millennial but like a brand I had I had said here's what you can expect from me and so because of that and because I have always always engaged with fans and I say fans meaning I don't mean my fans I mean television fans in general um because I always engaged I feel like I can't do the thing where it's like I write something and then I just go into a hole and pretend I don't see the reaction to it. So my whole thing is like, in the end, I'm the one who has to answer for what's what we're putting on screen. So I'm the one who has to sort of like face the firing squad or, you know, face the the hordes of, of fans that just love me. That hasn't happened yet. But um, <laughs> I'm the one who faces the firing squad and I'm the one who um, doesn't sleep at night because I'm worried about whether or not we represented something properly or whether or not we made the point we meant to make. So in the end, if I'm not comfortable with how something's worded, I'm going to change it because right. it's my show. Let's, uh, let's backtrack. Cause the, I want to, I want to talk about the journalist thing for a second. Did you notice oh. that you took any skill sets from the, from that past experience and put it into your eventual TV writing and then eventually into show running? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny. We were just in the room, as you you probably heard, we were sitting out. If you were outside, um, we were working on what's called a story document, which was the first thing that you send a network or in a studio um, before you send them an outline of an episode or a script. You send them a story document, which basically describes um, what's going to happen. And the story documents are very much written in the voice of TV journalism. Uh, so you're teasing the network, but it's you're basically not... a recap, right? <laughs> it's a recap, but it's not. It's almost like as if you got to watch an ex- advanced copy of it, and then you're giving the audience a review without giving away the twists. So you're like, um, let me think of one of the episodes from this season. It's um, Liz and and Maria 
go to Texas to see a faith healer because Maria is driven to find a way to save her mother. But when they run into Max and Michael, their evening takes a surprising turn, which ends with a major change in Max and Liz's relationship. So it's a TV guide synapsis. It's a TV guide synapsis, <laughs> yes. And so then we send that to the studio. Like, it's literally like, I'm so good at writing these things because I did it in my sleep as a TV journalist. So right. Some other writers have a really hard time. You send that to the studio and the studio calls you and they're like, well, what's a surprising twist? And you're like, well, there's a karaoke night. And they're like, well, what? how, does, how do Max and Liz's relationship change forever? And you're like, well... Sorry to spoil it for you guys, but the kiss, like you don't put it on the paper. You just right. tell them in the phone call. You, when you, they wet, you the wet their appetite and be like, well, now I got to call and find out like, yeah, they're like impatient children who can't like wait to find out in the script. That's what you hope for. Like you hope that, <laughs> that you're intriguing them enough that they're like, okay, well, what's the answer? Um, because then you know that you're doing your job right. Right. If they're like, all right, cool. Thanks. Moving on. Then I'm like, oh, I guess that wasn't that cool. How are you on speed? Because I noticed that my time as a TV critic gave me an ability to write quickly. And I write so fast that I'm able to, like, I know a lot of writers who get stuck, right? They're just stuck on that draft. Just keep, they keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, never finding the place to say done, right? Now, in your case, and especially in, especially as you described season one, time was your, like, we're done. Nemesis. Like, time is your nemesis. But even. Without that, have you been able to find the I'm done, like I'm done here, mm -hmm. Even, um, especially in the rewrites? I'm very fast. Like I sometimes when I tell people how fast I write, they think I'm lying. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that comes from the, the journalism side of things where it was like, oh, news is breaking. Be the first one to get it out there or everybody's going to click on a different site. And you're sitting there with your thumb up your ass. Um, but. So yeah, I write really fast, but that is a little bit of an illusion. Like I can write a script in eight hours, um, beginning to end, turn with it an in. outline, right? With an outline. There yes. you go. Yeah, because I, so, I yeah, it's you. If you have any outline, right, you so, can do so whatever. The preparation is a huge thing for me. Yeah. So outlining is huge, not just outlining, but as I'm breaking it, I'm writing dialogue in my head. I'm constantly writing dialogue in the notes section of my phone. Like I'll think of dialogue i'll be sitting in like the hair and makeup chair and i'll be like oh this is how that conversation should go i just wrote um dialogue for the series finale that i <laughs> that popped into my head which by the way hopefully won't be for a very long time but i was like oh man i know what what this final conversation between these characters should be and i wrote it down so by the time i get to opening final draft to write a script i'm like really you know really it ready. Like you're, yeah you know it. yeah the the time it takes for me, the, the, the tricky thing for me is um, I'm very particular about when I sit down to write. So I, one, have to have an extremely clean house. Like all the laundry needs to be done. Everything needs to be scrubbed. You know, my dog needs to be bathed. Like I'm a crazy person. And it's weird because I'm not like, an, I mean, you're sitting in my office right now. It's not like it's a disaster. I'm not like an OCD person. I'm not that I'm not. I don't need things just so except for there's something about I am opening a document to a blank page. I need everything else to be blank like that page and I need to just be able to focus. And so that like when I say to people like I need the weekend to write, I need Saturday and half of Sunday to clean my house. And then I need the <laughs> second half of Sunday late into the night to write the script. Um, and that's just my crazy. How, <laughs> how much... Here's my question then. How much how much time does your prep take? 
because I'll notice that even though the script gets written fast because I have the outline, mm-hmm. the the prep time is not nearly as quick. Like the prep time is that's where the three months of breaking happens. That's the like there's no like that's not the where the speed is. That's where yeah. everything. That's where all the the weird stuff is. So do you run through that quickly, or that's where you go? I'm taking all the time in the world on this end. Um, you know. Let me. I'm trying to figure out how to answer this because it's really hard to measure that when you're working in a writer's room all the time because mm-hmm. you're like, it's not like you're like in a vacuum and you're like, okay, today we start talking about episode 202 and we are only talking about 202 until we're finished talking about 202. It's not how it works, right? right. We've been talking about 202 since we started talking about the season as a whole. And as we're talking about 201, we're saying, okay, maybe the scene fits, fits better in the next episode. Can we kick this down the line? Should we pull this idea up? So it's hard to say, like, each episode takes X amount of weeks of prep. What I will say is that um, when I write pilots, um, which of which I've only written two, but um, the massive amount of prep time was mostly research. Right. So a lot of... Um, for for Roswell, it was like a lot of going into the book, going into bits of the original show, not a ton of it. Um, watching a million episodes of Ancient Aliens, reading a whole bunch of sci-fi books. Um, That'll thinking, make anyone go crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, and then the sort of the the next level of it, which is um, really immersing myself in the news and really educating myself about stuff like immigration and immigration law and these issues that we just touch on briefly in the pilot I want to know as much about as I can by the time I start to write because it just makes the writing easier right I think that writers the worst part of writer's block is when you sit down and you're like or the only writer's block I experience I should I should say is when you sit down and you're like I can't write this scene because I don't know as much as the character is supposed to know so I have to know at least as much as the character is supposed to know about Mm -hmm. the issue that they're talking about um the other pilot that I wrote was about the music industry and it took months and months and months and months of just research, not writing a word because I wanted to know everything. And I would like sit down I'd like interview a guy from one direction. And I'd be like, okay, um, one getting, you know, sit, getting that opportunity to sit down across from them takes a lot of legwork, but then, you know, sitting down and saying, Hey, total stranger who is, <laughs> completely terrified of their privacy being violated and who has always been sort of trained and told to keep things close to the vest. Um, Tell me what a day in your life is really like. Tell me about what um, something that, that would totally shock people about being on the road. And, and so that research process and then wading through all of that mountains of information to figure out what I need for what I'm writing that's the biggest prep time. I, then I get to paper and I'm just kind of just writing it. Are do you enjoy that part at all? Because that's the part I can't. I can't. Ugh, I just that's the part I have the most trouble with the research. Like the like the boots on the ground, cold hard facts research. It's like it's not fun. <laughs> I think that because I have a journalism background, I broke past that like awkwardness of it a little mm-hmm. bit, um, and so I do have fun with it. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, it's not like I'm like, you know, interviewing the head of Los Angeles sanitation. I'm talking to a boy bander or I'm like talking to some crazy alien conspiracist who like looks like he stuck his finger in a light socket every day for the last 25 years. <laughs> um, so they're cool. They're You know, I don't want to write about something that bores me. So the research for me is fun. Um, and the thing is, is 
I cannot stress enough how much easier it makes this fucking writing. Like Mm -hmm. people ask me all the time. One of the biggest questions that I get on Twitter is like, how do you deal with writer's block? And I don't get writer's block Mm -hmm. because I don't start writing until I know everything I need to write. I get outline block. I don't get writer's block. I get outline block. Outline block for me, it tends to be less about like, it tends to be structural. Like I'm like, oh shit. I want this scene here and that scene there, but that scene needs to come before this scene in order to make that other storyline work and fuck. And then I just get annoyed and it's not so much I'm blocked and I don't know what to do. It's like, I'm just mad that the world doesn't automatically work out my way and I want to have a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Do you go out of order at all? Do you write in order when you're writing? Um, I write, I totally go out of order. So I try, every time I sit down to write, I try to first write something that I don't want to write. Really? Yeah. So like on my show, um, I love all this. I love all the stuff. I love all the characters and all the stories. But like, you know, my heart races when I'm writing the romantic scenes or the fight, the the arguments. I love, I fucking love writing a a good fight where both people are right. Um, I am less lit up inside by the um, government alien conspiracy stuff. So if we have a scene in the bunker in that, in this episode between like Mains and Valenti, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go and write that one first because I eat my broccoli. And then after I eat my broccoli, I get to eat the chocolate. It's so fascinating. Cause up until a certain point, I was like, yep, I do that. I do that. Like, that's the one thing I always go the opposite way. I always write whatever I'm passionate about first. Like that's the day mm-hmm. writing that one because I want to reward myself for being in the chair. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, fair. That, by the way, sometimes getting in the chair is the hardest part. It's why I clean my entire house. And then I'm like, you know what? I should really start a new gym regimen. Yes. Right. Today. Yes. Today is the time to do it. And right now is the time I should do the dishes yeah. like right you know what the, the the shower has not gotten a good yep. scrub down like haven't called weeks. my grandmother in a while better do that <laughs> oh it's 11 o'clock at night where she is well i can't write until i've called my grandmother so gonna have to wait till tomorrow <laughs> yes oh my god i feel that so hard so when you get past the draft you're in the you're in the rewrites mm-hmm. what are the what are the what are the things beyond just production and stuff what are the things where you go all right this I gotta change this. Like, what's the what's the flag? What's the one? Um, okay, so on my show, there's a few. One is I check to make sure I have not unnecessarily written characters crying. Um, I have a tendency. It's to, so easy to do that. I have a tendency to be like, as he tears up. There was one episode last season where during the table read, um, Nathan Parsons started being like, am I just crying in every scene? And I was like kind of offended because I was like, I'm right here. I wrote it. And then I went back and looked and I was like, oh shit, I wrote three times. He tears up. Um, And also, and like, I also most of the time really trust my actors. So like it's their business to decide if they tear up or not. Right. Usually. Um, So I try to pull that out. I always do a second pass on jokes um my first joke is usually not the best joke um actually my joke is usually not the best joke at all my uh writer eva mckenna at least in season one was my person who i'd be like hey we need an insult for uh isabel to call michael can you send me 10 and i'll pick the one i like and and then plug it in um so yeah usually i i defer to Eva and often to um, Lily Coles, who's one of our actresses, frequently fills in uh, my bad jokes. I, I like write, I write like dad jokes and they're terrible. And then she's like, "Well, here's how that joke would sound in 2019," and she fixes it. Re- writing, especially dialogue jokes, 
very difficult, I find. Yeah. Like, it's, when it's if you're not a, a comedy person, physical, I, I find physical jokes easy. Like, physicality like based jokes. Like, those, those, those are fun. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's my sense of humor is very, um, sarcastic and self deprecating. And, um, I have trouble writing any other sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I try to find my way through it. Um, Positive? What do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I know. I feel yeah. that. And then the third big thing for me that I do a pass on is, one, I try to make it shorter. I'm always like, all right, last thing I do is make this two pages shorter um, because my episodes always come in very long in, on time. But um, other than that, the thing that I have to do is I take a long, hard look at the episode from the perspective of progress. So from the perspective of did I – uh, you know, have I serviced all of the characters? The, the, you know, have I taken a look at how this would feel from the perspective of the black female character in the room? And if she might feel differently about that, have I given voice to that feeling? Um, so a lot of the time, sort of my my last pass on it is involves a lot of reaching out to other people to say, okay, what would your experience of this moment be? Here's what I think my experience is. And we find the character's experience. A lot of times that means um, reaching out to advocacy groups. Right before you came to visit today, we um, had Amnesty International here. It's a World Refugee Day today. So um, we had a, a group from Amnesty International come and sort of talk to us about um, ways that we can uh, tell stories that, um, encourage empathy and encourage progress and avoid harmful tropes. So we do a lot of that on this show. That's sort of the last and most important step in the rewrite is mm. making sure that um, in my in in me making my pass, uh, you know, doing a very involved rewrite of somebody else's draft that I haven't suddenly made this entire show from the perspective of straight white girl from Connecticut, right? Because that's what I am, unfortunately. <laughs> um, outside the nemesis of time. Is there, have you had moments where you go, this is good? Like, yeah, this is, I'm happy. Like, yeah, how many moments of like, I'm happy with this have you had? A lot. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, um, I have one episode of the originals that I, I was not thrilled with in the end that I wrote. Um, and that's not to say that I was like happy with every episode of the originals. I was happy with, with, what I was able to do with what I was given in all episodes except for one. Um, I think that there are two episodes in season one of Roswell that I struggle with, that I wasn't happy with the end result. Like I know behind the scenes how much it took to get there. The audience might be watching something and, and is like, Oh, this is, you know, this is okay, I guess. But I'm like, I know that we worked through a major budget cut and that the writer had a family emergency in the middle of it and that the actor hated every line he was saying and refused to say half the lines and oh yeah there was a blizzard and you know I know how hard it was so it's hard. There was hard. a blizzard in New Mexico? There was a blizzard in New Mexico. There's <laughs> blizzards all the time in New Mexico. Really? Yeah. Um, we're in the desert but holy fuck does it snow and lightning storms <laughs> all the time. Um, lightning storms that are so beautiful that I just want to shoot them. I just want to put but a camera that purple, on them. purple, right? Yeah. Purple with like real big cracks that go through the I sky. I hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as soon as there's a, scent, a, a hint of lightning, everybody's got to run for cover. Um, but so I know what we went through and I have all that. So when I watch an episode, I'm watching it from a like, <gasps> we survived and we made it. And so it's so good given what we de- did. Whereas like a fan might watch it and be like, nah, this is not as good as the pilot. They never know. They yeah. They never know. Um, but that said, 
there are two episodes in season one where I'm like, I could have done better with what I had, mm-hmm. with the time I had, with the weather I had, with the team I had. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter whose name is on that episode, who directed it, who starred in it, who wrote it. In the end, that's on me. Right. Um, I'm the person who signs off at the end. And I admit that there were two times this season where I was just like, so beaten up by the end of an episode that I was like, oh, thank God, it fits into 42 minutes and 15 seconds. Send it. <laughs> Get it away. Um, coming off the fir- coming off the lessons of the first season, going into this season, what were the biggest things you wanted to improve on? In terms, particularly in terms of the, uh, the writing process. Um, I want to be a better mentor to not only the writers, but the um, writing support staff. I want to... Um, I want to understand the fans' perspective a a little better. Um, I am, believe it or not, you wouldn't believe this from my resume, but I am not a romantic at heart. Um, I basically think love is garbage. And from the East Coast, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) um, And so I think that I write things. um, I don't think that like falling in love is is the be all end all but a lot of people watch TV for the love stuff. And so I'm trying to strike a better balance of um, not injecting my own bitterness about romance right. into the show. Um, but to be fair, a lot of them are watching it because they want they want to see a thing that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like they know, they fundamentally know that the most particularly like teen drama romance love yeah. is not a real thing. But they want to see it. Every first kiss you have isn't on the side of a mountain with the sun setting perfectly in between your mouths. (laughs) Um, But they want to see it. They want to know. They want. They want. Because it's a fantasy. They want to live in that fantasy. And I, believe it or not, I want to write the real stuff. You know what I mean? Like, someday I'm going to write a show that's like really just. I feel like This Is Us did it brilliantly this year with um, Beth and Randall and this whole season building to what felt like an epic relationship meltdown. Um, and it was so tense and I couldn't breathe for so many of their fights. And then they pulled through it. Sorry, spoiler alert. But like that, I was like, that's a fucking love story. It was a hate story for so long. They couldn't, they couldn't get their shit together. They couldn't get on the same page. And then they did. And that to me, I'm like, that's what I want to see, but that's not what everybody else wants to see. <laughs> no, you, I mean, at some point you have to play the crowd, give the crowd what they want. Yeah, but you have to. You writing want, a, I'm not writing a documentary. Right, that's their dessert. But then you all, but the, to me, the trade off is that's you have to give them that dessert. But the broccoli is the social commentary. Like you're giving them social commentary. I guess so. I love the social commentary. It lights a fire under me. I've been a political junkie since I was 13 years old, <laughs> getting into like arguments in my social studies class about so the last, hanging chads and getting kicked out so of the my... last four years have to have been awesome. <laughs> they for were you. so hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, getting kicked out of class uh, for, for fighting about, you know, Florida. Um, and so I honestly like, it's funny because yeah, the, so the show has, definitely has some social commentary in it, but it doesn't have more social commentary than my everyday life does. Like, I I don't know anybody who goes through their day without somebody cracking a Trump, Trump joke during any day. And so, yeah, every once in a while we say Paul Ryan's an alien on TV and we all go about our business and like, 
you know, I guess I think that the show is as political as our lives are. Um, but honestly, to me, and like, uh, everybody who listens to this is going to be like, wow, this girl sounds miserable. Like, she hates love and she loves politics. <laughs> I call that a realist. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely that. I'm definitely that. Unfortunately. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> um, we're coming, you know, we're coming up, you know, time close, limit. We're coming, yeah, we're coming, we're coming close to the end on this part of the recording. But I do want to. I do want to like talk about you know you got you you got thrust into this uh, not thrust into it's really the wrong word but it's like you this is your this is like the first show like the first show I was thrust into it you were thrust into it totally um, I uh, how'd you handle that I initially um, didn't want to do it I didn't want to show run um, no I didn't want to adapt somebody else's work that was scary and I guess uh, we'll talk about that in a we minute we are going to talk about that by the way bonus episode is all about adapting so yeah. we'll get there um, but. To be honest, I didn't think I was going to run this show. A lot of times when there is a young creator or a young writer and they write their pilot, um, and I'm sure you know this, but for the readers out there, um, the writer writes the pilot and then the studio and the network and the writer um, join forces to hire somebody to basically be the writer's boss. So I thought that if the pilot got picked up, we were going to hire somebody to be my boss. Um, and I was uh, fine with that because I had only been in this business for five seasons, one of which I was a writer's assistant for. Um, so you moved fast. I moved very fast, yeah. I went from um, writer's assistant to producer in four years, and that's very fast. And I, um, I, I guess I like figured, okay, I'll write this thing. Julie will executive produce it and then we'll find a showrunner who, you know, works. But that showrunner would then have been my boss. Mm -hmm. No matter what my vision was for the show, no matter what my plan was, no matter what a fucking brilliant genius writer I am, um, they're the boss. And then um, all of a sudden I just looked around and I was running the show. And I was like, did Warner Brothers not notice that they let me run the show? Um they noticed. They knew what was happening. Um, is it that? Do, do you think it was just because, no matter what happens, Julie's right across the hall. Like, um, is that really of. what it is? Because like that's it. It's her and Berlanti. Like those are the safety nets right. of that studio. I don't think it's so much about their, them being safety nets. I don't want to underplay Julie's involvement in the in the show, but it wasn't so much that they were like, "We'll be there to catch her when she falls," so much as they were like, "She's ready to get pushed out on the tightrope. Push her out." Um, we vouch for the fact that she's ready. Right. And so, and they did. I mean, they, they were huge, you know, supporters of mine at the studio and the network. And fuck, I mean, I, I, could I ask for a better group of people? Julie, Julie Pleck, Greg Berlanti, and Kevin Williamson. Like, that's like the dinner party I want to go to when I die. Um, and they love me. <laughs> I'm no I'm kidding. But they do. They really have my back. Um, um, yeah, not to underplay Julie's involvement in the show, but um, she's very hands-off. So when I need something, I have to reach out to her um, and say, hey, look, I have a problem. Here's the problem. Help. Um, or sometimes I'll get really excited about something and I'll be like, hey, can I pitch you our story? And I pitch it and it's like, she'll be like, ooh, you know what else you could do and add something? But she's not in the room. Um, you know, she, often we've shot a script and she hasn't even read the script yet. Um, because she's got her own show to work on and she trusts me to do this and I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job. 
Uh, I will say that season one was really hard. I learned a lot of really tough lessons. A lot of those lessons, actually all of those lessons were things that um, people had told me so already. And I was like, I'm gonna do what I want. And I got I don't want to say I got bit in the ass. I got like run over by a massive truck of my own creation. Um, (laughs) And I was like, holy fuck, I should have listened to everyone who's got more experience than me. Um, But like in the end, I like had my heart broken one million times. I had, I went millions of nights without sleep. I, you know, felt like I completely snapped but we got a season two, so who cares? Um, I watched this, the the first season and I'm like, wow, you can't even tell that the showrunner's hair was literally falling out from stress. So who cares? I can buy hair extensions now. It's fine. <laughs> and and to be honest, like season two is already easier. We've just started writing and it's already easier. I'm well, already sleeping better. I find, I find, like I just got off my first, uh, my first support staff job, right? Mm-hmm. And it was congrats thank you it was it was a it was a it was a it was a process it was an experience and i was so green and it felt like every day i was doing something wrong mm-hmm. like every day me too uh and it felt like that like i like there were days i went home drive home. I, I i live in the valley the office was in santa monica so i was doing the 405 drive sometimes in tears be like what i fuck it look great mm-hmm. i fucked like fuck i was it was just hard so so much and then, but now I'm at the end of it and I go, I could totally be slotted into another uh, office PA position and kill it. Yeah. Like once you, the thing is like, everyone, cause everyone's like, don't you want to move up? I'm like, no, I want to do one season correctly. Right. And then like, like everyone's like, do you want, don't you want to move to writer's system? Like, yeah. But first I want to see that from the outside mm-hmm. before I do that and then move into it. That's really smart. Honestly. Um, I did move up really fast, but I, uh, I've heard horror stories from people who climbed the ranks too quickly and then couldn't get jobs because all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'm, you know, at producer level, but I climbed the ranks too quickly and I don't actually know how to produce. Mm -hmm. And then you fuck up and people don't want to hire you again. So I think the even though I skipped a bunch of grades, um, I think that the the system, the hierarchy, the ladder is in place because it works. Um, It works largely for, you know, straight, white, cis people. How much of a nerd would you say you are before I make this reference? I'm a nerd, but not a geek. Pokemon nerd? No. No, okay. So qu- I'm just going to throw it. So holding my Pokemon, you need they evolve. Mm-hmm. And when they, they evolve, once they've gained a certain amount of abilities and uh, powers... If but you can but you can in the war in that world evolve your Pokemon with a rock special magic mm-hmm. rock because that's how that works. Yeah. Uh, but if you do that too quickly, they don't have powers they can only learn at the earlier stages. Right. It's literally that. Yeah. I always think about it like I don't know why I always think about it like that. I don't even I don't even like that franchise, but that is a really apt way to put it. Where it's you reach a certain point where you cannot admit you don't know this thing that you should have learned mm-hmm. in the earlier stages. And even if you can admit it. You still don't know it. And nobody has time to teach you because they're paying you to already know it. Right. And so then you screw up and then you become difficult to hire. Um, and I live every day in desperate fear of that. I had a like kind of a mini breakdown the other day where I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be just like a producer level again. And life was real easy at that level compared to now. But now I'm here. And so I'm going to either be creating my own stuff or I'm going to be like number two running point on somebody else's stuff. 
I'm never going to be just like the person who gets to like show up, fuck around, write a thing, and then like go home and not You're worry about it. You're never going to get to be the 40 hours in and then home yeah, person. Yeah, never again. Uh, Until I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Karina Adley McKenzie, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, for if you were signed up, if you were hearing this, it means you're signed up for the one dollar episode tier on Patreon. You're the best. Sign up for the three dollar episode tier. You get a bonus episode we're about to record. Before we go, where can people find you online? Um, I am Cadley Mac everywhere. So C A D L Y M A C K on Twitter, on Instagram, also on Facebook. But I don't use my Facebook. I pay my little sister to update it sometimes. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. I don't have a I don't have a Tumblr that's public. I have a secret Taylor Swift fan Tumblr that I don't tell people about. <laughs> you find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Merrill Bar, M-E-R-R-I-L-L-B-A-R-R. If you are a patron, quick note, if you can, go to iTunes, leave a review. It helps a lot. Even though you're paying for it, it gets more people to find the show and then hopefully sign up for the show, all that fun stuff. So I'll do this episode, and we'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>